1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. And after this, uh, Jamie and Chris will come speak to us. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those are also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we, of all people, are to be most pitied. About three years ago, Doug Perry presented a uh, proposal to the elders to begin helping those from Mount Juliet that are attending college and majoring or minoring in Bible. Uh, the elders grasped this, began it, and today it has grown to where we support 11 of our young people. Uh, most congregations see their young people in hope that out of their youth group will one day a preacher or someone that that spends his service to the Lord and we have 11 and that is unbelievable uh, I'm not going to read out the list of all the young men but you'll know that uh, if you look at your announcement sheet they are on that this morning I do want to mention though that we have two young ladies uh, that are also majoring in Bible at Freed Hardeman University and uh they are going to be teaching our ladies' Bible class this morning. Hannah Duke will be over there, and Lacey Shannon will be over there via video from wherever it is she is right now. Uh, it's hard to keep up with the Shannon kids. But I want, uh, I want you to know how proud that we should be of these young men, and I hope that uh, uh, you'll let them know that and uh, enjoy this time as much as I do. Good morning, everybody. Uh, first, I want to start off by saying thank you. Uh, Given the elders here at Mount Juliet and the congregation here at Mount Juliet, a huge thank you uh, for the scholarships that we all get at Freed. I know it's a blessing to me personally. Hello. Um, I know it's a blessing to me to be able to, to be a part of a congregation uh, that supports us so much in our efforts to, to become ministers. Um, and I know that it helps us out a lot because we all know uh, Freed ain't cheap. So, uh, Every penny helps, and I, we're, we're gratefully thankful for that. Uh, be turning with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Something that's so unique about Christianity is that we serve a risen Savior. We serve someone who, who was human just like us at one time, who died, oh, hello, um, who died and then was resurrected, uh, who is no longer dead, and who is now in heaven uh, with his father, with our father. Uh, s- start with me uh, reading in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here Paul's telling the Corinthians, okay, let me remind you of the gospel that I've told you once before. 
I've already told you this before, and it's what you claim that is saving you right now, unless, of course, you didn't believe me the first time I told it to you. And then he gives us, um, and then he gives us a couple more verses. And these next verses are what we are what our entire faith is built around. Not necessarily the verse itself, but the idea behind the verse. Continue reading in verse three. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He then goes on to talk about uh, all the people that He appeared to, saying, look at all these witnesses that saw Jesus after He rose that can attest to you the fact that Jesus was dead and now He's alive again. All these people that saw Him once He rose from the grave. The story of the Gospel is a beautiful one. It's a story of a man who came to earth, uh, or a story of God who came to earth to be like one of us, to live among us, and to go through the same things we face every single day. Then he died because of the things that he did while on earth. And Paul tells us here in this verse, to the Corinthians, the story stopped there. To many people in Corinth, they had ceased to believe that resurrection of the dead was possible. They had ceased to believe that one could be dead and then be raised once again. And a lot of times, we tend to forget the same thing. We might not necessarily stop believing uh, that Jesus was raised from the dead, but a lot of times, we forget, we forget to talk about it a lot of times. We come here every week and we take the Lord's Supper, uh, commemorating the Lord's death, commemorating uh, His body that He gave for us, so that we could have our sins forgiven of us, and then we stop there. Now, both of these things are absolutely necessary Uh, to our lives as Christians. But why do we so often stop at Jesus' death? Why do we so often forget the rest of the story, the most beautiful part of the story, the part where he, he triumphs over Satan and where he triumphs over death so that we can all have salvation? So this morning, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the importance of the resurrection. We're going to talk about what it means to us. And we're going to talk about... Um, some of the things that Paul mentions to the Corinthians about the repercussions of there being no resurrection. So, one of the first fundamental problems, if there was no resurrection, one of the first fundamental problems that shakes our entire view um, of our faith is that Christ is still dead. Christ was indeed a human. There's plenty of verses that tell us about that. He was born, uh, he had a childhood, he grew up, he was tempted just like we were, he cried, he died just like us, with the exception that he was perfect throughout his lifetime. Other than that, he was just like us. He was a human being, a regular human being. He suffered, and he bled, and he died for us. The part that makes it different is that it doesn't stop there like we talked about before. He rose, and there's a lot of supporting evidence to show that. We can read through all the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read where he was resurrected. We can read about the empty tomb. We can look at the beginning of Acts and see, and see uh, where we're told about the things that Jesus did uh, between his resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. There's plenty of extra-biblical sources, whether they be Christian or non-Christian, speaking of an empty tomb and the fact that Jesus was dead and now he's not there anymore. The fact that he disappeared from his tomb and that he rose. Um, and... You know, this fact, the fact that Christ died and was raised again, 
is fundamental to our faith, and it, it affects the way we view everything. And that's what these verses that, that Matt read for us are talking about. These verses talk about all the things that happen in contrast if there's no, if there's no resurrection. One of those being that our faith is futile. Our faith is absolutely useless. There's no point in us even having a faith if Jesus was never risen from the dead. Why do we act the way we do? Why, do, why am I standing right here preaching to you right now? Why are you sitting here in this auditorium at 8.30 in the morning uh, on a weekend when you don't have to work? Why are we all sitting here? Why do we put so much effort into serving others? Why do we put so much effort into mission work? Why do we put so much effort into leading good lives? John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, this is part of it. We, we keep these commandments, we do these things because we love God. And it's not just because we do it because we're told to. We do it because we truly love God. And we don't love Him just because we feel like it. We didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I think I'm going to start, I think I'm gonna start you know, serving Jesus just because just I don't have anything better to do with my time. No, we do it, we love God and we love Jesus because of the love that He showed us. And that love that He showed us is the gospel that he died for our sins and was buried and was resurrected on the third day. We love him because he's given us more than we can ever imagine. We don't even realize just how incredible his, his saving act was. And we may, never, we may never fully understand it. But without the resurrection, all this is useless. All this is absolutely useless because one, it makes us all liars. It makes us all liars because we've been proclaiming our lives and putting our entire faith in someone uh, that something that never happened if Jesus never raised there's ultimately there's no reward for us imagine working whatever job you have imagine working that job for years and years and years and years your entire life and never getting anything for it never getting a dime for it never getting a single pat on the back or anything just doing it for absolutely nothing I'd hazard a guess to say most of us wouldn't do that here on earth, we don't do things, we don't do these things that I mentioned before so that, so that we can have any kind of reward here on earth. That's not what we're looking for. We do these things, we serve God, and we love God because we want to earn our eternal reward of heaven. We want to earn that, we want to get to heaven because we love God and we want to be with Him forever. And this brings me to my next point, which is if there's no resurrection, then there's no salvation for us. We've talked about it briefly already. Uh, but if there's no resurrection, we, we put all of our hope and all of our faith in something that's completely hopeless. We put, all of, uh, we put all of our eggs in one basket, so to say, in something that's going to give us absolutely nothing. Resurrection was the final blow to Satan. It was the final thing that said, Satan, you've lost. God has beat you and God will always beat you. And my children will be able to have salvation because of this. Resurrection was the final victory. Was the final victory for Jesus. If he would have stayed in that grave, then, then that would have meant that Satan won and that death overcame him. But his resurrection showed that he, was, he truly was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He finally was able to pay for our sins in full. And that's what gives us our salvation. That's what allows us to be able to be 
to endure the same process as Christ. We're dead in our sins, then we're buried in the waters of baptism, and then we're risen again and given a completely new life, just as Jesus was because of that sacrifice that he gave. And without, that, without our new resurrection, without our resurrection through baptism, we're still in our sins. We know that we're washed and we're baptized so that we can have our sins forgiven of us. If, if there's nothing to baptism, if there was nothing, if there was no resurrection of Jesus for us to be able to be saved, we would still be in our sins and we would have no way out. We'd be stuck in our sins forever. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 15 even says, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have, have perished. And he's saying, those of us who have put all of our faith in Christ and then died... Their whole lives were pointless. They've perished just like anybody else. So before Chris comes and speaks to us, um, I want to give you kind of a, a, modern, a modern list, per se, of, of the things that, that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 12 through 19. If Christ had not been risen, sitting here in this auditorium is useless. Missionaries are wasting all of their time and money. Those who have died for Christ have died in complete vain. There is no comfort for a widow standing beside a fresh grave. Living decent and good lives gets us nowhere. And we have nothing to gain, but we have everything to lose by putting our faith in someone who offers absolutely no hope. So I challenge you to never forget, uh, never, under, never undervalue the resurrection of Christ, because it's just as important as his death. And without it, we would have no hope of salvation. Um, and there's plenty of verses that tell us that. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Is there anyone that fails? Is there anyone that falls? Am I the only one in church today that's feeling so small? Because when I take a look around... Everybody seems so strong. I know they'll soon discover that I don't belong. So I tuck it all away like everything's okay. If I make them all believe it, maybe I'll believe it too. So with a painted grin, I play the part again so everyone will see me the way that I see them. 
What I just share with y'all this morning is, is one of my favorite songs, and, and every time I listen to that song, I'm reminded of one of the biggest struggles, in my opinion, and I think a lot of us would tend to agree, that's found in the church all throughout America and possibly even worldwide. And the idea is simply that a lot of the times we live a life where we treat Christianity on the day of judgment and that instead of Jesus Christ handing out crowns of righteousness, that he's going to be handing out Oscars. We treat Christianity sometimes that on the day of judgment that Jesus is going to be looking for the best Christian actors. People that show up three times a week and they put on a smile and they go throughout their life like at different times like they're not broken. We treat Christianity like sometimes like Jesus is looking for people that are always going to claim to live a perfect life, a picture perfect life. Is that the way that we view Christianity? Is that the way that we treat Christianity? You see, if, in my opinion, or at least the idea is, if we begin to treat Christianity like that, I believe that we've really bought into one of greatest Satan's uh, one of Satan's greatest lies, and, and the idea there is, is, is really it's becoming America's motto is, is that only the strongest survive. The idea is, is if you're weak, just run them over. Why? Because it's all about personal gain. No sympathy, no mercy. It's all about number one. And hey, that's the God that we serve, right? We serve a God that says, hey, look out for number one. And no, we serve a God that says, I want you to be a servant. I want you to be last. I want you to put others before yourself. We serve a God that says, I don't want you to show any kind of mercy. No, we serve a God that is very evident all throughout Scripture, and it's very clear that we serve a God of mercy. And God expects His children to show mercy. God expects His children to, to show sympathy. We say we want to reflect Christ. We want to be people that when people look at our lives, that they see Jesus. Well, Jesus looked upon the weak and the people that were broken, and He had compassion. So we should, or we too should have compassion. This morning, are we willing to have the kind of humility that it takes to lay our life before the Lord and say, God, I can't do it on my own anymore, but I need you. This morning I ask you to ask yourself, and this is where honesty needs to play a part in this morning's lesson, but are you broken? Are you treating Christianity the last couple of months as if you show up with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and instead of, like we read about in James, confessing our trespasses and the things we struggle about to each other, we put on this smile, and we act like we're trying to win an Oscar rather than to live a life of Christianity where we're trying to obtain a crown. If you haven't already, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, 22, and we're going to read this verse, and this will kind of be the foundation for the rest of the lesson. But in Acts 13, 22, and I'll begin to read it, it says, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Think about how awesome that would be. To be living a life to where when God looks down at the way that we're living, that God could literally say, I found someone that has a 
or, or that lives a life where they're after my own heart. They do all of my will. What a powerful compliment it is to think that God looked down at David and said, I have found a man after my own heart. You know, a lot of times when we think about David, we instantly think of mighty king, we think of a great warrior, we think of David versus Goliath, we think about the David that stood for God when a whole entire army wouldn't. A lot of times we don't think about David as being a murderer, and he was. We don't think about him being an adulterer, and he was. We don't realize that all of the psalms that he wrote, he didn't write with most of the time a smile on his face. He wrote with tears probably running down his face because he was broken. So then we say, well, God, and and, and I'm just asking because I'm just trying to figure it out. We say, God, how does a man be after your own heart, but yet he's a murderer and an adulterer? Now, this is from personal study, and, and I've came to the conclusion, and I honestly know that as I grow in Scripture and as I mature as a Christian, that maybe my opinion on why David is called a man after God's own heart will change. But from my studies, what I see is I see someone that is willing to admit that they were broken. When, they, when, when David had sin in his life or when he felt that separation that sin causes when you're living for God and then you sin, that separation that you feel, that we read about in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that separation that David hit his feet and he cried out, or he hit his knees and he cried out to God for God to create a clean heart. You talk about him picking up a writing utensil and writing psalms. You could imagine the tears running down his face, broken. David was broken. That's what I want us to really see was David was broken, but yet he let God be his strength. And his weaknesses. But what I love the most about David is that when he would cry out to God, whenever he finished crying or whenever he finished praying, he had the kind of faith in God, and we'll get to it in a moment, the kind of faithful, or he believed that God was faithful and just. And we're about to study about that. Enough to forgive him. So when he did finish, David never looked back it's something that God didn't see anymore. And I want to stick with that idea of leaving here and having a relationship with God that when we pray to God for forgiveness, that we're not going to look back anymore at the things that God doesn't see. And sticking with that idea, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, and we'll start reading in verse 5. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then verse 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And, and what John is, is simply teaching here is what we're, what's found all throughout Scripture. The idea is we can't live a double life. You can't say that you want to be holy and then live a worldly life. You can't show up three times a week and say, hey, I'm here around my brothers and sisters in Christ. I just want to glorify God. And then on Mondays and the rest of the week, live an opposite life. The Bible teaches us here in verse 6 that if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That goes back to the idea, are we trying to gain a crown of righteousness or on the day of judgment, 
Are we silly enough to think that Jesus is going to look past all the fakeness and give us an Oscar? We look at verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And the idea there is, is when we're living a life where, where when people look at our lives, they see someone who is selfless and not selfish. Someone who wants to give God the glory. An individual, when we look at their lives, it's very obvious. They live each day with the mindset of, Lord could come today. What can I do to increase the population of heaven? The Lord could come today. What great things can God use me for to do today for his kingdom? That's walking in the light. And when we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And verse 8 is really my favorite passage in, in these verses because it's really a gut check. He says, if we say that we have no sin, and it's, he's just going right off verse 7. He says, if we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, it's real easy if, as a Christian to, to, when you're walking in the light and you're living a godly life to sit back and say, oh, well, you know, hey, Jesus' blood cleansed me from all my sins so I don't have any sin. Verse 8, he's saying, if you say that you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in us. John's basically saying, hey, remember, it's not anything you've done, you did, or anything that you will do. It's everything that God has done. It's everything that God has did, and it's everything that God will continue to do in your life. And then, walking in the light of the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son cleanses us from all sin. And we can't be liars. We've got to willingly admit that we are sinners and that we are broken, and we need God. And then you look in verse 9, and this is kind of goes back to the idea of we're not going to look at anymore or look back to what God doesn't see. In verse 9 it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that verse? Now, here John's writing to people that have already been baptized. I want to clarify that. People that have been baptized that came out of the water and they're living in Christ. But he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God is just and faithful, that when we mess up, that we can go to him, if we're walking in the light and we're struggling, that we can go to him and cry out to God and say, God, forgive me, and to believe that he is just and faithful so as soon as we say amen, to not look back anymore at the things that God doesn't see. You see, oftentimes I feel like we don't have that kind of uh, belief that God is just and faithful. A lot of times what we do is we cry out to God, God, please forgive me. And then we say a prayer, amen. And then what I think a lot of times happens is we allow that guilt of the sin to remain in our life. And it's really allowing Satan to have a couple inches and that he turns into a whole football field. And what he does is he allows that guilt and he makes us feel worthless and he makes us feel empty and he makes us feel like we have no chance and he makes us feel unworthy to be at church on Wednesday and he makes us feel unworthy to be at church on Sunday. And what ends up happening is that guilt leads us right back to what? It leads us right back to that sin. And then we find ourselves back at square one crying out to God the same prayer. You see, I think it really stems to the point that we as human beings are more visual than people of faith. 
You see, if we as individuals wrong somebody, we can go to them and we can say, hey, you know, I made this mistake in our relationship and, and I'm sorry. And we can look and we can see their reaction and we can say, okay, that person forgives me. And, and our relationship continues to grow. Whereas when we pray to God, let's be honest, it takes a lot of faithfulness to believe that He is faithful. And, and it, it takes a lot of faith to believe that He is faithful and just to forgive us. Do we believe that when we cry out to God, do we have the kind of relationship with the Father? Are we living in such a way that as soon as we hit our knees, that we believe that God is so faithful and so just, and we are so trustworthy in Him, living in Christ, that when we mess up, that as soon as we say amen, do we have the kind of faith that we're not going to look back at something that God doesn't see anymore? It's so awesome that we serve a God that takes broken people and He does great things for His kingdom. How He takes someone that we would look at and say, man, that, that person really doesn't have any hope and He takes that individual and God says, I can work with that heart because they're not worried about everybody else. They're just worried about doing my will. And He takes those kind of individuals and he does great things for his kingdom. Are we striving to be individuals that when God looks down, he smiles upon the lives that we live? Because he sees individuals that are living lives where we want to be people like David after his own heart. Go ahead, and, and we're going to kind of just bring this to a close. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 23. Luke chapter 9. Start reading in verse 23. Just continue to lay down the, uh, or just continue to build upon what we started. And then 23 says, Then he said to, him, uh, said to them all, this is Jesus, he says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. That's the key word there daily and follow me for whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it you say i want to have a strong relationship with god i want to be a stronger christian i want to be a stronger father a stronger mother spiritually i want to be someone that when they look at my life that they see jesus and they don't see me anymore our relationship with god has to be daily, not Sundays and Wednesdays. Jesus doesn't say, all right, take up your cross, and when the church gets together on Sundays and Wednesdays, get together, and I want you to be the Christian that you ought to be. That word is daily. When we're living this life of Christianity, and we're walking in the light, everyone has, I would say, struggles personal battles. But you see, in sin, what I've kind of came to the conclusion is that you're either practicing sin 
or you're struggling in sin. And see, what I've, what I've learned that if we say, I don't ever want to get to that point where I'm practicing sin. What do I, God, what do I got to do? Luke chapter 9 says your relationship has got to be daily. Say, I don't want to be someone who on the day of judgment is going to look very silly because I've lived a life where it seems I was trying to get an Oscar rather than a crown of righteousness. Make your relationship with God daily. You see, you show me an individual who is excited about God, who's pumped up, who's motivated, who's living a life where they want to give God the glory and it's very obvious in their walk, but they've got certain struggles in their life, but daily they reflect upon the cross, the burial, and the resurrection that Jamie just talked about. I'll show you someone who's going to overcome that struggle with God and on the day of judgment, they're going to get their mansion, they're going to get their robe, and they're going to get their crown. You show me someone who's just kind of going through the motions of Christianity, who has a lot of struggles in their life, but really doesn't daily reflect upon the death and the burial and the resurrection, I'll show you someone who right now is struggling with sin, and if they don't get it right a couple months later, they're going to be practicing sin, and then if they don't get it right then, in the end, they're going to be spending an eternity without God. When was the last time that you thought about the death and the burial and the resurrection and it wasn't at church on Sunday? When was the last time that you opened up your Bible and you talked about Jesus and God with your family. And it wasn't on Sunday. Our relationship with God is so much more than Sunday and Wednesday. Our relationship with God has got to be a daily sacrifice of coming before His throne every single day and saying, God, I want to walk in the light. I want You to use me for Your kingdom. And at the end of the day, God, I pray that You smile down and say, there's an individual who wants to do all my will and is someone that's after my own heart. I end with a story that I'd say probably 90% of us know about, and I'd say probably almost all of us watched it on Sports Center or probably were watching it live. But 10 years ago, February 18th, 2001, was the Daytona 500. NASCAR fans called Daytona 500 the Super Bowl of racing. On this day, there would be a tragedy during the race that will be remembered for forever. See, there was a race car driver, Dale Earnhardt. He drove the black number three car, known as the Intimidator. 
known as an aggressive driver that did whatever it took to win the race. At the end of this race, there was a couple laps left. Dale Earnhardt is running in third place. Dale Earnhardt Jr., his son, is running in second. And Michael Waltrip is running in first. And Michael Waltrip's car was owned by Dale Earnhardt. And you see, these last couple laps, Dale Earnhardt would swerve in front of anyone and was protecting his son and protecting his best friend, his car. And he would protect any time anyone would try to get around, he would swerve and get in front of them. Just keeping that third spot, trying to maintain that Junior and that Waltrip was going to win the race. And you see, he did that all the way up until the last quarter mile, the last turn. And as we've all seen, or at least most of us, he tries to go to block one last time. And a car gets up into his, and he hits the wall head on. And he died instantly. You see, I'll never forget that day because my grandpa was the biggest Earnhardt fan ever. And I'll never forget sitting there watching. And it was one of the first times I almost saw my grandfather cry. Friday night, I was watching a thing on Sports Center about it, and they were giving a special. And what I noticed 10 years now down the road was Michael Waltrip's brother, Darrell Waltrip, who was commentating the race. He's commentating the race, and of course, wrecks happen all the time in NASCAR, so he didn't know that Dale Earnhardt died instantly. But watching him commentate this race, they kept showing the camera on him because he was crying, tears of joy, because his little brother had just won his first race ever. And it, what, what really got to me the other night while I was watching is how quickly those tears of joy turned to mixed emotions as he found out about his best friend. So on one hand, he's crying tears of joy because his little brother just won the race, and then on the other hand, he's crying tears because he just lost his best friend or one of his best friends. After that segment was over, I started thinking. I said, you know, the way that Daryl felt that day, the mixed feelings, I said, I wonder if God had mixed feelings on the day that he had to watch his only son die upon a cross, laughed at, mocked, beat down, bleeding to death, suffocating to death, on a cross. On one hand, his only son is dying. But on the other hand, now we, his creation, his children, we now have the opportunity to win the race. As I offer the invitation, if you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, given your life to God, my question to you is, why not? Why not make today a day that you'll remember the rest of your life? And then as you take your last breath, you'll remember it into eternity. And you'll look back and say, that was the day 
that I started my relationship with God. And that was the day that I took my first step towards an eternity with God for forever. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're a Christian and you have been baptized, but somehow along the way in the last couple months, years, whatever of your life, you've began to live a life where you're trying to win an Oscar and you're trying to act like you're not broken. This morning, if there is anyone that we can help, come forward. Let's take it to God. And how awesome is it that you can leave here knowing that you don't have to look at something that God doesn't see anymore. If there's anyone that we can help this morning, come as we stand and sing.